of this mercies I have known. I know it may sound simple, but it's more than a cliche. There's no other way to tell you than to say God's been good in my life. I've been blessed beyond my wildest dreams when I go to sleep each night. Though I've had my share of hard times, I wouldn't change them if I could. Cause through it all, God's been good. Times replay and I can see that I've cried some bitter tears. But I felt his arms around me as I faced my greatest fears. I've had more gains than losses. change them if I could, cause through it all, God's been good. God has been my father, my savior, and my friend. His love was my beginning, his love will be my end. I could spend But the best way I can tell you is this, God's been good in my life. I feel blessed beyond my wildest dreams when I go to sleep each night. Though I've had my share of hard times, I wouldn't change them if I could. Cause through it all, God's been good. God's been Amen. I trust that you uh, feel that same way, that God's been good to you. Amen. He has been good to all of us, hasn't he? Well, let's take our Bibles again. Turn to Job chapter 22. Job chapter 22. Again, we're dealing with the benefit of knowing God. And we've been in our series, Secrets of Successful Living. And so we're going to take just a few moments and look at Job chapter 22. We're going to read through verses 21 through 29. And then we'll kind of pick up where we left off. Chapter... 22, beginning in verse 21. Job chapter 22, verse 21. Acquaint now thyself with him, and be at peace, 
thereby good shall come unto thee. Receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth, and lay up his words in thine heart. If thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. Thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles. Then shalt thou lay up gold as dust, and the gold of Ophir as the stones of the brooks. Yea, the Almighty shall be thy defense, and thou shalt have plenty of silver. For then shalt thou have thy delight in the Almighty, and shalt lift up thy face unto God. Thou shalt make thy prayer unto him, and he shall hear thee, and thou shalt pay thy vows. Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee, and the light shall shine upon thy ways. When men are cast down, then thou shalt say, There is lifting up, and he shall save the humble person. Might as well read that last verse too, huh? He shall deliver the island of the innocent, and it is delivered by the pureness of of thine hands. Well, again, we've been dealing with this particular subject of secrets of successful living, and we started talking about the benefit of knowing God. And in part of our lesson, in one part at least, I should say, we noted that um, the need of fallen beings is to return unto the Lord. And in returning, we're to receive Him. And we said that once we've received our Savior, that, of course, is imperative, it's most important. But then we begin a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's important that we distinguish that there's a difference between theoretical knowledge of God and an experiential knowledge of God. I mean, it's one thing to have a head knowledge of God and the way He works. It's another thing to have experienced it firsthand. And I think it's important that we as believers experience it firsthand. Otherwise, the world won't see Christ in us, will He? It just won't see Him. And so there is that difference, and it's a noted difference. And now that we've noted how to uh, get to know God, so to speak, and uh, we're going to focus on the benefit of knowing Him. And so last week we began addressing that issue. You know, the benefit of knowing God. We said, number one, we shall be built up. We saw that in verse 23. We're going to be built up. Then we said uh, uh, out of verse 23 as well, we shall deal drastically with sin. Boys, believers, how the new man now is, is we, we have a new man in us, you know, Christ living in us. And what a difference he makes in our lives. Boy, to be able to go back into the, the, the slime pit, be able to go back into the hog pen, so to speak, of sin, that's something that should be very much more difficult at times for us than maybe what we think it ought to be. It seems today that, you know, we, we often know people that have trusted Christ and they, they have no desire to go to church. They have no desire to, to read their Bible and pray, no desire to do the things of God. And you got to wonder sometimes, don't you? You start to ask yourself some questions and someone might say, you don't have a right to judge them. You may not judge them, but boy, you're certainly concerned for them seeing that they have no change of heart. That'd be a problem. I don't know about you, but it concerns me. If it was my life, someone comes to me and says, Preacher, why is it I have no desire to serve the Lord? Why is it I have no desire to be in the house of God? Why do I have no desire to do this? But I did ask Jesus in my heart when I was a child, or I did ask Jesus into my heart a few months ago. I'd probably say, I don't know why you don't have that desire. Maybe you've grown so cold to the things of God. Maybe you, you, your heart's uh, uh, you know, been hardened to the things of God. But then again, maybe you ought to really look at your life and make sure that you know him as Lord and Savior personally and intimately. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I run into somebody that has no heart for God or no desire to do the things of God, I pretty much treat them like they're lost. Not that I'm saying they're lost, because that's between them and the Lord, obviously. But, but by the same token, I hate the thought of just assuming that 
Just because they said, well, when I was nine years old, I said a prayer. Okay, what, you've, what have you done? What's God done in your life since? How big is God in your life? Does he play a role, a part, anything? I'm a little concerned if he's had no role whatsoever. And really, in reality, as we're going to see, he ought to be our life. Not just a part of our life. He is our life. We'll look at some of that in a moment. But we shall be built up. And then, again, we learned that we shall deal drastically with sin. And tonight, we want to begin uh, continuing with our study, uh, noting this thought as well. The benefit of knowing God, we shall be greatly enriched. Greatly enriched. And we're going to look at verses 24 and 25 as we start there. But let's go ahead and have a quick word of prayer and then we'll continue on. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for these that have gathered tonight. Lord, what a blessing. Father, how how important is it that we arrive here at the house of God, that we forsake not the assembling and that we come to, to glean and to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we allow the word of God to have its Uh, place in our life and and to serve its purpose in our hearts and we desperately need you tonight lord i need you tonight i'm asking you to fill me with your spirit may you just work in my life that i might be your mouthpiece lord i know i have nothing to share with thy people except it be given from you to me that they may receive it i pray lord that you just lead me now and guide me in your word and speak to me lord use me may father my lips father just be a conduit for thee speak through me And Lord, I just pray, dear God, that you would just be glorified, not only in this place, but in each of our lives. May we allow you to be more real than ever in our hearts. Lord, bless each one that's represented here tonight. Be with myself, and may each of us leave here different for having been here. We love you. We need you. And we're just asking you to walk these aisles and do a supernatural work in our hearts and lives. We believe that, Father, you hear our prayers. We believe that you want to do a mighty work. May we be open to that work tonight. In Christ's name, amen. So we said, we shall be greatly enriched. Verses 24 and 25, the Bible says, Then shalt thou lay up gold as dust, and the gold of Ophir as the stones of the brooks. Yea, the Almighty shall be thy defense, and thou shalt have plenty of silver. Now I know that uh, this is an Old Testament passage, and I think it's important to note that. I don't know about you, but I don't have plenty of silver. You know what I mean? I, I'm not rolling in the dough. You know what I mean? I mean, the other day we had a, a, a woman come through the church and she, she decided to stop in and she used our restrooms and I realized that she had a few needs. And I said to her, I just simply said to her, I said, well, is there anything we can do for you? Is there anything we can help you with? She never once. Listen, I'll be honest with you. She didn't ask for money. She didn't ask for nothing. She just said, can I borrow your phone, basically? And I said, absolutely, you can use the phone. Just don't take it with you. But anyway, I said, you can use the phone. And so she, of course, uh, used the phone and stuff. But while I was there, I said, you know what? I said, uh, uh, she said, I just need to get on my way. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I need to go somewhere. Uh, I'll have to, I don't know. She said a lot of things. But anyway, I said to her, I said, well, listen, I said, you know what? There's a McDonald's up the street. I pulled my wallet out and I gave her $5 bills. You want to know why I gave her $5 bills? Because that's all the silver I had. I didn't have another dime on me. I gave her everything I had. Felt like Peter that day. I'll give you what I've got. You know what I mean? Uh, But uh, silver and gold have I none, you know? But anyway, I handed her the $5 and I said, here you go. I said, you know what? There's a McDonald's right up the street. You at least get a hot coffee and maybe a breakfast sandwich or something. She said, you point me in the direction and I'll go. I said, well, how about me and this brother give you a ride up to the McDonald's? And so we gave her a ride to the McDonald's and all I had was five bucks, but it was something. 
My point being is I don't have a lot of silver and gold either, and probably you don't either. And so when we look at a passage like this, if we're not careful, we're going, well, wait a second. If, if truly I'm a child of God and I am a child of God and, and I've got the, the Word of God in my heart and I'm trying to read and study and memorize the Word of God, I mean, according to the passage, I ought to be rich. I ought to have some money. Let me tell you something. In the Old Testament, many times, uh, faithfulness was marked by prosperity. In the New Testament, faithfulness is marked by spiritual prosperity. It was physical prosperity often in the Old Testament. It was it's spiritual prosperity in the New Testament. That's why the disciples struggled so awfully much when Jesus told them it was hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Hey, what are you talking about? Man, rich people are blessed by you, God. How would it be hard for them? Because, see, God's going to change the, the axiom here a little bit. Things are a little bit different in the New Testament than the Old. They're spiritual blessing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Spiritual blessing that that we're going to receive. And in this case, we, I want you to know that as a child of God, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are going to be greatly enriched. Oh, you may not have a big bank account. You may not have another house on the, the ocean. You may not uh, be able to say, well, my 401k is, is blowing up. <clears throat> but let me tell you this, you can have spiritual abundance. God's meeting your needs. And, and listen, I, don't, I look around the room and, and you may not be rich, but it doesn't look like we're starving. God's been pretty good to us, amen? He's been pretty good. And how many nickels do you have to rub together to get some silver? Well, none of those are really silver now, are they? But anyway, <clears throat> nonetheless, we shall be greatly enriched. You know, we're just rich indeed to know him, aren't we? Just to know him. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> the Bible says there in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Why, what a powerful, powerful passage. I mean, think about that statement for a moment. And ye are complete in him. Now, how many times have you felt incom un incomplete? You know, how many times have you felt that there's a big part missing? There's something that you still need, that I'm not complete without this or that. Boy, I, I teach the singles class. My wife and I are, are running kind of head of the singles class and department here at the church. And let me tell you, if the singles aren't careful, they feel like they're incomplete. You want to know why? It's no big secret, is it? They're looking for a mate. They're looking for a husband or a wife. And they're saying, boy, I need a wife or I'm not complete. I need a husband or I'm not complete. I feel like something's missing. Let me tell you something. In Christ Jesus, the truth is, with or without a husband or wife, ye are complete in him. The problem is, is that we don't allow Christ to be all in all. The problem is we don't really give him his proper place in our life. The re real problem is, is that we allow him to be seated on the throne of our life, dictating and directing us at every turn. Too many times we want to control our lives. We think we know what's best for us, don't we? But he really does. And you know, the fact is, is that he loves us more than anyone could ever love us. He has only our best interest at heart. And how many times have we watched someone, watched someone run into a meat grinder? 
of a relationship because they got a little too anxious and thought they knew what the will of God was, but really it was their will. They were more concerned about companionship than we were compatibility and Christ-likeness. Well, nonetheless, we are greatly enriched. Why? Just because we know Him. To know Him and to have Him living in us. I mean, in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. Not only are we rich indeed to know Him, but we're joint heirs with Christ. It's an amazing thing. Yes, of course, we may live and die in this world and not have anything really to speak of financially. It is possible, even as a believer, that you won't own anything significant in this life. It's an amazing thing that in the day and age in which we live, it seems that material things are so important to us and they somehow validate us today. I mean, I'm somebody and I'm important because I have something. Because I'm, so, I'm somebody because I have money in the bank. I have money in my pocket. I've got a nice car, a nice house. Because I have this or that or my job makes me important. And I'll tell you what, we have missed the boat. We are joint heirs with Christ. You may never have the things that the world says equal success in this life. But my friend, let me tell you, you are rich beyond your imagination because you are an heir to Jesus Christ. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. What an amazing passage again, and what a wonderful, wonderful message that Christ has for us as believers. Well, I know in this life, sometimes things don't pan out the way we'd like, but let me tell you, we have a future that is off the charts. As they say, the retirement program is out of this world. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed that from time to time. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Well, I like that, though. It says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God. According to this verse, we share in the sufferings of Christ for now. But we're also going to share in the glory of Christ later as his co-heir or joint heirs. The term heirs of God in this passage, it, it, it emphasizes our relationship to God the Father again. According to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, as his children, the Bible says, that we have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. That's a wonderful thing. To think that you have a reservation in heaven and all the glories of heaven are, are, are yours in that regard. You have all of that to look forward to. I have all of that to look forward to. 
I get it. In this life, it may not be good. I mean, you think about some of the martyrs in the, in the past. You think about some of those that fought for religious freedom through the years. Those that would not become part of, say, the, the established church back during the Dark Ages and wouldn't allow the, themselves to fall under the auspices of the Pope. And they chose to walk in their own direction and go their own way and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ according to the Word of God. And think about the suffering and the persecution that they endured. Their lives, their families, totally wrecked and ruined many times by those that sought to destroy them, wreck and, and tried to, to ruin the faith. And boy, I mean, everybody, they, they, were, they were sought out. They were hunted like wild animals many times. And yet, let me tell you something today. They're doing a lot better than the hunters were then. And for an eternity, they'll still be receiving the benefit of it being a joint heir. Men and women burned at the stake for their faith. They would not recant. And at the time, it would seem that they were losing so much. At the time, they may have even been leaving wife and children behind. And someone would say, how selfish of them. Why don't they just recant? Why don't they just stay behind? Because they couldn't. They wouldn't. Their faith was too important to them. Their walk with Christ, too important. Their relationship with the Lord, more intimate than we possibly can understand. Therefore, they were unwilling to recant that relationship and that walk with the Lord. How cheap our relationship with the Lord can be sometimes today. And yet, we are joint heirs. Oh, maybe not in this life, but in the next life, we are going to have abundance beyond compare. The Greek term translated heirs in Romans eight seventeen refers to, quote, those who receive their allotted possession by right of sonship. Man, aren't you glad that we are the children of God? I mean, in other words, because we are God's children, we're joint heirs with him. I mean, in, in John chapter 1, 12, the Bible says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the what? Sons of God. Because of our sonship, we have full rights to this inheritance. In a sense, and it's kind of a bad term to use, but in a sense, we're his beneficiaries. Now, we know God never dies, and it's often used that way, but the truth is, we're going to receive the benefit of God. We're going to have, as though his, you know, his, we are his heirs, so, boy, everything he has is ours. Watchman Nee, he tells about a new convert who came in deep distress to see him. The convert said, you know, no matter how much I pray, no matter how hard I try, I simply cannot seem to be faithful to my Lord. I think I'm losing my salvation, said the convert. And he said, do you see that dog here? He's my dog. He's house trained. Never makes a mess. He's obedient. He is a pure delight to me. Out in the kitchen, I have a son, a baby son. He makes a mess. He throws his food around. He fouls his clothes, and he's a total mess. But who's going to inherit my kingdom? Not my dog. My son is my heir. You are Jesus Christ's heir because it is for you 
that he died. Watchman Nee said. See, you and I are Christ's heirs, and we're not Christ's heirs through our perfect perfection. We are Christ's heirs by means of his grace. It's not what you do, it's what Christ already did. Boy, am I so thankful today that that my salvation and my heirship is not dependent on me. Although I want to please my master, the fact is, in my flesh I know dwelleth no good thing. Galatians chapter 3 verse 29 says, And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. He says in Colossians 1.12, he says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. In Colossians 3.24, again, he says, Knowing that of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Boy, we have an inheritance. What a wonderful thing. I don't know. Do you ever think much about the future? Do you think much about eternity? I mean, I know probably the younger you are, the less you think about things like that. The older you get, I think it's a little bit more on your mind. Uh, those aches and pains tend to draw your attention to your fallibility. You begin to think about those things maybe more than you would maybe 20 years earlier. But I'm going to tell you something. As a believer, we ought to have our eyes on the sky. We ought to have our minds in heaven. We ought to be thinking about that citizenship that's ours in Christ and in heaven. And about the inheritance that we have to look forward to. Number four. Consider this particular thought again. The benefit of knowing God. And number four, we shall delight in the Lord himself. In verse 26. The passage says. For then shalt thou have thy delight in the Almighty, and shalt lift up thy face unto God. Again, that's in Job chapter 22, verse 26. For then shalt thou have thy delight in the Almighty, and shalt lift up thy face unto God. When we have returned to the Lord, when we have received Jesus Christ, we shall delight in the Lord himself. I don't know about you, but what a wonderful thing to think that I can literally commune and fellowship with not only my Creator, but my Savior. <clears throat> wonderful, isn't it? Years ago, Corey Tenboom wrote this. She said, Look around, you'll be distressed. Look within, you'll be depressed. Look to the Lord, you'll be at rest. For all, you know, as a result of all her experiences, I think she knew a little bit about that. Corrie Ten Boone, of course, found herself in concentration camps, so to speak, during World War II. Horrible situation for her and her sister. She knew what it was to suffer. She knew what it was to be separated from family. She knew what it was to lose her own sister as a result of the ruthlessness of a people that, well, it, in the future she would literally witness to and try to win for Christ. Corey Tenboom, look around, you'll be distressed. Look within, you'll be depressed. Look to the Lord, you'll be at rest. Man, there's so many things that we can look around at today that, well, could cause us to be distressed and depressed. <laughs> I mean, finances, physical ailments, a nation sinking in moral depravity, a liberal agenda that threatens our way of life, loved ones 
friends that are straying and others that are suffering and just so many other problems. But even in the worst of times, the truth is, as a believer, there is joy available. If we look for that joy in the right places, that's when we find it. And the right place is none other than Jesus Christ himself. The right place is is not in just a new job. The right place isn't in a new marriage. The right place isn't just in getting something that we've always dreamed of having. No, what we ought to be seeking first and foremost is a relationship and an intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ, keeping our eyes on him, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In Psalm chapter 37, verse 4, Psalm 37, 4, the Bible says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. But we're to delight ourselves also in the Lord. Man, our delight ought to be in him first and foremost. Now, I've mentioned this before, and again, I, I, I guess it's just one of those things, and I think I'm pretty safe to mention this, but often at funerals, I, I hear this all the time by believers. You know, I just can't wait to see my husband. I just can't wait to see my wife. I just can't wait to see my aunt. I just can't wait to see my grandma. That, that's all I want to do. I just can't wait to be reunited with my family. I just wonder, where's Jesus fitting there? I, what kind of relation? Now, I'm not opposed. Listen, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. No, somebody go out of here and go, he's ruthless. He is heartless. He doesn't care about his family at all. No, that's not it. I'm just saying... What place does Christ play in our life if the first thing we want to see is someone else? I mean, if Christ is really our life and our relationship with him is so... I mean, he lives in me. My wife don't live in me. I carry him with me everywhere I go, every day. I don't carry her. If I did, I wouldn't make it. Not that she's big. It's just that anything over about 10 pounds would weigh me down. Good save, preacher. (laughs) as my dad would say did that come out right (laughs) let me apologize now sorry but anyway the the fact is I do Christ is in me and he's in you right I mean you talk about spending time with someone you talk about knowing someone man Boy, there ought to be, listen, let's be honest. There's probably not one of us in the room, including myself, I'll I'll, I'll certainly include myself, who couldn't have a better relationship with the one who saved me. A more close relationship, a more intimate relationship. I got to share it. It's just too good. In that book that we're reading for our singles class, okay, I'm going to need help with the name again. I know you don't like to talk in public, Sherry, but what was that lady's name? Frances Havergal. She knew Fanny Crosby. They knew each other. They would correspond. They did not actually meet physically face-to-face, but they did know each other. Well, this particular Frances Havernall or whatever, she, she ends up getting ready to, she's ready to die. She's a young woman. She's 43 years of age. She's been ill for a, a, a time now. And finally the doctor comes into her and says, help me out. Goodbye. <laughs> there you go. I knew I, it was, that's why it was, it's too simple for me to remember. 
<laughs> I'm still going to have to ask you to help me with this one again. I know, I forgot again. We were just visiting someone last night, and I used this and had to ask her for the help all the way through, too. My memory's not as good as it used to be. So he says goodbye to her, and she says, Am I going to die? And he says, Yes. And she says, Today? And he says, I believe so. And she says, Beautiful. It's too good to be true. Beautiful. I, I, I don't know why that just hits me like a ton of, I can't remember it, but I'm telling you what, it just hits me. Beautiful. It's too good to be true. 43 years old. There's someone that had a real walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that, now that's serious business. I don't know about you, but I want to be that close. I do. I want to be that close. And when I get that news, or if I've ever given that news, I want to respond that way. I would. I want to respond. I want to be honest and sincere and as real and genuine as I can be. I want to be able to say, huh, this is the best news ever. Once we've returned and received the Lord, we're going to be weaned away from the earthly and temporal things that we leave, that. That, that will leave us wanting and fade away. And on the other hand, we find true satisfaction in Christ himself. Because Christ is never changing and he'll never disappoint us. Never. In Colossians 2.10, we already noted this passage and spoke about it already. But it says, and ye are complete in him. He can be counted on because he is consistent. When others would let you down, Christ will never let you down. When others will leave and forsake you, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, the Bible says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. Some things never change. Christ is one of them. And you know what else doesn't change? That in Christ Jesus, as we make him important in our life, big in our lives, he'll always be enough for us. Always, under any circumstance, he'll be enough. Now listen, I know that's easy to preach. It's another thing to live it. But that's why relationship's so important. That's why we build this thing. I'm amazed that sometimes I'll, I'll be beside a, a, a saint of God as they're preparing to pass on into eternity. And they've lived their life for Jesus Christ. And I mean they've, they've sacrificed for Christ in a sense. At least in comparison to what we see today in our world and and I know that any work done for Christ is really no real sacrifice in comparison to his. However, the reality is we do. God asks us to give of ourselves and to die daily. And they've done that, many of them that I've sat beside or I've prayed with. And I'll say to them, I'll say, was living your life for Christ worth it now? Was it worth it now that you lay on your deathbed? I've never had one of them say, I wish I would have lived in the world more. 
I wish I'd have drank and I wish I'd have taken drugs. I wish I could have been more immoral. I wish I could have just lived my life and enjoyed this and that of the world. No, they've never once said that. Every one of them that truly gave their life to Christ through those years would say, absolutely, more than ever, it's worth it. Psalm chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. There be many that say, who will shew us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart, more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Wow. Finally, let's talk about this one. How about this one? When we think about the benefit of knowing God, what about we shall receive answers to prayer? That's a real benefit of knowing God, receiving answers to prayer. Now, I don't know too many people that when I go to them and I ask them something that they can easily just say, sure, you want it? Here it is. I, I don't really, I don't know anybody quite like that. You know, I could use a new car. Great. What kind do you want? Here's a check. I've never had anybody do that for me. I say, well, I'd like to buy a house. Oh, no problem. A house? What kind would you like? How big of a house? Anything special you'd like in that home? Well, actually, I would like, wait, don't hold back anything. Here's a check. Write it out. I don't care what it costs. No problem. Never had no one do that. <clears throat> I don't go over to Kohl's or to some other store chain and say, you know what? I've been needing me a new suit. And they say, well, no problem. Grab any two off the shelf you like. No one ever says that to me. But you know one of the benefits of knowing God is that I can pray. And not only does God hear my prayers, but he answers prayer. And he meets our needs. Listen, I have wonderful family and friends, and I'm so blessed to have a church family that's so wonderful. But the truth is, is that your means are limited. My means are limited, but not his. It is a privilege for every believer to be able to go boldly to the throne of grace. Look in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, a powerful passage. I mean a powerful passage. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I don't know about you, but that's a powerful, powerful passage. Boy, be able to go boldly to the throne of grace. Listen, listen, I'm just going to say this. I don't care what state you're in. I don't care what situation you find yourself. I don't care what spiritual state you find yourself in. Go boldly. And let God deal with you. Let God deal with you. 
And I, I understand, you know, Psalm 66, 18, I get it. You know, if we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. But let me tell you something. You go to God and you go boldly to the throne of grace, which he tells you to do anyway. I got to believe God can do with you what no one else can. I believe God can begin to shape your mind and your, your heart and shape your, and, and, and ultimately, uh, you know, share a direction with you that you can go to. Hey, listen, go to the throne of grace. Let God do his work in your life. When Hudson Taylor was sailing to China to begin his missionary work, his ship was in tremendous danger. The wind had died out and the current was carrying them toward some sunken reefs which were close to an island inhabited by cannibals. So close to the island they came. I mean, they were so close to the island that they could actually see them building fires on the shore. (laughs) I mean, they were getting ready for dinner. Everything they tried did not did not help. There was just nothing they could do. They just continued to drift closer and closer. And in his journal, Taylor recorded what happened next. He said, the captain said to me, well, we've done everything we can possibly do. And a thought occurred to me, and I replied, no, there's one thing we have not done yet. What's that? The captain asked. Four of us on board are Christians. First of all, I think it's interesting. Four of us on board are Christians. How do you know that? I find that interesting right there. Four of us on board this ship are Christians. How would he know that? You think maybe he talked to people? Maybe he's asking a few folks. I don't know. I'm just kind of, I don't know that everybody that's a Christian came around and had a name tag that said Christian on it. I doubt it, right? So anyway, I think that's interesting already. But nonetheless, he goes on to say, he says, no, there's one more thing that we have not yet done. He said, four of us on board are Christians. Let each of us retire to his own cabin and in in agreed prayer, ask the Lord to give us immediately a breeze. Taylor prayed briefly and then, Being certain that the answer was coming, he went on to deck again and he asked the first officer to let down the sails. (laughs) Wouldn't be the good of that, he said. I told him that we'd been asking a wind from God and that it was coming immediately. And within minutes, the wind did begin to blow and it carried them safely past the reefs. Taylor would ultimately write, Thus God encouraged me, Ere landing on China's shore to bring every variety of need to him in prayer and to expect that he would honor the name of the Lord Jesus and give the help each emergency required. Boy, I'll tell you what, that changed his life. He watched God supernaturally work in that desperate situation. And he learned something about God that many of us may need to learn more about. That he's a God that is there in the most dire times. That he is truly there to meet needs. That he loves us and he wants to hear our prayers, but he also takes pleasure in answering them. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call unto me and I will answer thee and shew thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. May God help us to never forget the benefit of knowing God. It's just 
the first five of seven that I have. I don't know if we'll get to the others or not, but we shall be built up. We shall deal drastically with sin. We shall be greatly enriched. We shall delight in the Lord himself and we shall receive answers to prayer. And those, now those are some benefits of knowing God. I trust you know him. Now here's the thing. Maybe you know him as Savior. But how intimately and personally do you know him? You know, we live in a world today that's it's not uncommon for a young man or a young lady not to know who their daddy is. Oh, they may know the name of their father. They may even meet with their father periodically, but they don't know their father that well because they don't get to spend the time that they would like to with him. Now, they have a father, and, and, and he may love them. I'm not even going to question that. He may love them. And they may, in a sense, love him, but they don't know him like they want to know him. Why? Because they do not spend the time that it takes to get to really know their father. It seems to me in Christianity today that many profess knowing Christ and God as their father. But it does seem to me many times that we don't know him as we ought to. The thing is this, is that God, without question, is always available. The problem is, are we? And I want to encourage you to make yourself available to the Father, to to come into His presence and spend time with Him, to get to know Him in a more intimate way than maybe you already do. Because in knowing Him, That is where the benefit is found. Know him. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love and grace in our lives. We are so thankful for just the fact that you...